independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, my name is Joe Armstrong. I hope you and all your people are healthy and safe. You are listening to the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and insider information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, David Birchfield. Anyone who has ever attempted to entertain an audience with only their voice and an acoustic guitar faces a daunting task. Both the guitar and the human voice, to be sure, are versatile and dynamic instruments, but it can be a serious challenge to peak and retain the interests of listeners without the driving beat of a drummer or the pyrotechnics of an accomplished lead guitarist or saxophone player, especially in the internet age, when performers find themselves competing with a world of entertainment options in their listeners' pockets. Solo performers had damn well better have good songs and an engaging presence, and Rocky Mountain troubadour David Birchfield is a natural in this setting. Birchfield cut his teeth playing in churches in his native Kansas, but it was during collegiate summers when he learned how to connect with an audience in an intimate setting by swapping songs around mountain campfires. A detour into a teaching career was redirected back to music after a nighttime scooter trip to the store, resulted in a harrowing accident that left Birchfield bruised, but with a newfound sense of life's fleeting brevity. His new lease on life and its associated perspective became a fortunate outcome for both Birchfield and his listeners, as he is adept at quickly and elegantly interpreting both life's grandiose and intimate moments into song. Now fully rededicated to songwriting and performing, Birchfield's newest album, State to State, is full of gems. Songs like Glad I Got Out of There connects the things the author loves about the people and places of his formative home with what happens when a soul discovers that home can also be somewhere else life has delivered you. And on a recent tour, Birchfield found himself in Los Angeles for the first time, where he discovered that California's largest city was something far more complex and nuanced than his expectations, and he wrote a song about that too. It is a rare gift to be so close to one's muse. Welcome to Independence Day, David Birchfield. Hello, David. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I am well. Man, Like I, I have to jump right in and say that this is an unprecedented situation we have found ourselves in. And, and the way it applies to our specific interview, I'm just going to come clean and tell everybody in our listening audience that David was with us out here in California way back in February. He was on a short tour, and we got a chance to interview him and meet him and kind of become friends, and I'm glad for all of those things. But since that time, the entire world has been upended by the coronavirus situation, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought to myself, self, there's no way I can air an interview like in the shadow of that without addressing that. So David has very, very kindly agreed to re-record this interview. I'm not sure. Maybe that other view will. I'll put it up later as a bonus or something so people can remember what it was like before coronavirus. But are your people okay? That's my first question, David. That's the most important thing, healthy, health-wise. Uh, yeah, everyone's doing fine. Um, my wife, my Julie, is, uh, is a doctor, but... Um even with medical professionals, most people, unless they're really like critical care specialists or something, are being kept out of work as much as possible, you know, to kind of yeah. limit the amount of people coming in and out. Yeah, yeah. We've been watching news reports just like everybody else. Vice News did a really interesting piece we saw recently about a doctor in Secaucus, New Jersey, who uh, thought he had contracted it during the course of treating other people and just the types of hours that they're working. And anyone who doubts that this thing is a real thing, I have a hard time 
I have a hard time. I, I I might even question their humanity at this point, but that's a whole different <laughs> podcast, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, um, she had for some other uh, for another reason, she needed to go to urgent care, and they tested her for antibodies, and she had the antibodies. Interesting. And then she had a negative swab, so that you know pretty much means she had it. Right. And I haven't been tested, but it seems almost impossible that I wouldn't. But we were both asymptomatic. Yeah, I in my friend set, I can I think my total is around five or six people, and it is all negative with the exception of one person who did test positive, and they were one hundred percent asymptomatic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it's it's insidious and it's strange days, man. But I mean, and that's I guess in some ways will kind of be unfortunately the new through line to what we're talking about because this coronavirus situation has really run through our industry like a rogue comet that killed the dinosaurs. You know, it's yeah, different and, world. And three months ago, you yeah, know, ahead, I was there three months ago. Yeah, that's it. But it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I mean, it was in the news at that point. I remember, you know, hearing about it, and I guess everyone was operating under the assumption that it would have been like prior epidemics that were, you know, the Ebola or SARS or mm-hmm. MERS or these other ones that weren't, you know, earth-shattering events, but something definitely troubling and something to keep an eye on. But now, as I like to say every day, here we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for better or for worse. But I'm glad we're here. I'm glad you decided to do this. And let's, I, the, the reason I've had you on, uh, you've got a new record coming out uh, very, very soon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called State to State. And uh, you're going to play some songs from that in a little bit. But talk to me, you know, for a guy who, you know, we did an interview, talked about, hey, we're so excited about this new record coming out. You had your whole plan in place about releasing it and doing some shows, some PR. I know you talked to a publicist. Like, tell me how things have changed for you in terms of this record release cycle in the coronavirus realm. Well, the um, all of the internet-facing stuff is pretty much the same. I think the very first single we released was near enough to it becoming a, a real serious thing in the U.S. that I felt a little weird. And then, of right. course, things have kind of leveled out and people are yeah. just saying, here's a new single, whatever. And that's not such a weird thing to say anymore. Um, so that's still kind of normal. Um, I have heard from my publicist that he's he at first it seemed like fine. People were working from home. But then as right. writing staffs are getting furloughed or laid off, there's fewer people to look at the emails. And um, so that's that's maybe had an impact there. Um and then, of course, there's the whole touring thing, which is right. what I was really excited about with this record was uh, I had big plans for the whole year. I'd finally <laughs> kind of figured out, I think, how I was going to organize a year, which is right. hard to do as a, like a person who books yourself. But um, now none of that's happening. Yeah, man, I'm so sorry. So you had a year's worth of dates booked already? No, I just had a plan (laughs) a plan okay yeah which is hard for me like i want to go these places at this time and target whatever that festival that conference as kind of the reason to be there and right we sort of had all that figured out and we you know some of that was planned for the fall and there's part of me that's like well maybe that could still happen but i yeah it's so much work for an independent person to book themselves that it's like it would be really heartbreaking to spend 100 hours on that and then cancel yeah 
It's something we talk about a lot on this show. I mean, every one of the people on the show, you know, with few exceptions, some of them have help with booking. Some of them have help with management, publicists, whatever. Uh, but a large, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the light motif of the show being Independence Day. Everybody's, everybody's independent to a certain extent. You know, I always say, like, you know, you can reach out to Taylor Swift on Twitter directly now. You know, you can, she may not respond, but you have a way, there's, 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 a, there's a more of an opportunity before, there's more of a channel than there once was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the artists, yourself included, myself included, I don't know that people outside the industry appreciate how much work goes into being an independent artist. You know, yeah. it's not like, you know, I've, I've dealt with contractors in the past where if they're a drywall contractor, like, I don't want to make it sound easy, it's hard. But you book the gigs, you do some billing, you do the work, you follow up, you move on to the next job. And that's a lot of work. I've been in that world myself. But when you're an independent artist, you know, you're, it's imagine like you're inventing the drywall. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, every you're, single time. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're mining, you're mining the gypsum that's used to make the drywall. You're making the paper and then you have to figure out a way to produce that. And then you have to figure out a way to replicate that. And then you have to figure out a way to go out and then do it night after night on the road completely right. independently. Right. And you got to convince someone that's never heard of you to buy this new drywall thing they've never yeah. heard of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good a, analogy. In a way, the drywall metaphor doesn't hold because obviously people don't re-drywall their houses 10 times a year with new drywall. But in terms of the process, I guess, it's just a ton of work. Mm-hmm. So how, how many shows are you at liberty to say? How many shows did you actually, you know, just got 86? Hmm. Ballpark. Uh, you know, that... We might have talked about this on our first go at this. That... Um, Transition into a new year is always kind of a, a low point in me knowing yeah. my plans because talent buyers are on holiday and then you come back and it's kind of like getting launched for the new year. Yeah. Um, so in when I last saw you, I was going to kind of begin working on April, May, June. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I was like, oh, well, yeah. forget that. Yeah. So I hadn't booked a lot there, but there's been a few festivals that we either were booked for or were, you know, in talks about booking that are just yeah. done or or moved. Yeah. So, yeah, there's all that, and then all the plans for the fall. So yeah. Who knows? Well, let's let's hear a little bit of something from the record so people know what you sound like, know what to expect. I myself am excited for this new record. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about your songwriting style, your songwriting. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys who thinks that you definitely have a gift when it comes to that. You've probably heard me say that to you a dozen times now. But let's hear the song, You're Okay, It's All Right, from the record State to State. The artist this weekend, Independence Day, is David Birchfield with a U. You can find him at davidbirchfieldmusic.com. Let's check this out. Come back. We'll talk some more. Sure is something. Think you could have died on the bike. On the way back from the store to buy coffee for your wife It went at night, so she'd have some in the morning And in the morning, it wouldn't be anything at all But you did it, so you're okay, just a broken nose Tip and some scrapes, you're okay. 
just remember when you're laying down here. It's alright. It's alright. It's alright. Sure is something that you could have been. You underneath the boat instead of your friend not coming up. The song is You're Okay, It's All Right from the album State to State coming to uh, an internet near you sometime soon. Maybe a record store if those things exist anymore going forward. Uh, troubling times, David, man. So great to have you here, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for being part of this. I appreciate that so very much, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're welcome and great tune. Now, some of this record was inspired by another brush with fate that you had. Like going into this, can you tell our you know our listeners like w- how you got that newfound perspective? Like what happened to you? Yeah, the, it's kind of like the story of this chapter in my life. I uh, had made some records as a younger man and um, put those out and uh, was doing fine, but then just felt like I needed to kind of quote grow up and do something else. <laughs> um, so I went moved to Colorado, went to grad school, became a teacher. And uh, felt pretty good about that work, but there was definitely the missing, missing music. Um, and uh, yeah, I was in my second year teaching, and a truck uh, hit me. 
And I was driving a scooter home one night. And, what kind of, um, like a, like one of those little like electric scooters or like a moped type thing? Like or? a moped, like a Vespa type thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it turned out fine, um, as you know, but uh, it was a kind of a moment to reckon with the brevity of life and, you know, how there's no guarantees as far as our time or what we get to do. And, um, I didn't realize at that moment that I'd be leaving teaching or leaving, uh, you know, kind of a white collar life. But, um, I did feel really strongly compelled to start writing songs again and wrote a song a couple of days later, reflecting on that experience and then really felt like I wanted to share it with the world. The, the second verse is about a baseball player, um, Jose Fernandez, who happened to die the night that I had my accident. Um, and then his team had to play, the Miami Marlins had to play the next, I think the next day. And so it's just really moving to see um, them dealing with that and trying to continue on with what they love um, in his absence. So the verses kind of deal with me and then him and that was part of what compelled me to get it out quickly. And yeah. And then it started this train of like, well, I do find so much intrinsic value in doing music and I want to share it with the world. So here we are a couple of years later. <laughs> it's all I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, what a great transition. I mean, musicians, I don't know. I think about this all the time too. You know, we, we have other things, we do other, other pursuits in our lives, just like anybody would. And, you know, music being such a, furtive and non-reliable or non-consistent, inconsistent like way to make a living for a lot of people. I know a lot of musicians who do, you know, they paint houses and then they go on tour half the year. And some mm-hmm. people would look at that and say, well, you're not a real musician because you paint houses half the year. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, you know, they're on tour half the year, which is more than a lot of musicians are, you know, or yeah. can afford to be. So, you know, I, people are very, very judgy these days, and this, you know, the virus situation has just amplified that to the, to the ends of the solar system. But uh, so, so, so that event kind of reorganized your priorities in your life. Now you've, you know, you're looking at it's a couple years later. You know, you're in the this album, getting ready to release this new album. Has this new situation changed your priorities in any way? Because now you know, you're not going to be able to go out and play those shows. You know, there are a mm-hmm. lot more questions than answers in terms of that. Like, has there, I know it's maybe too soon to tell, but has there been another shift in priorities? Or now, like, in other words, another way to ask that would be in the situation where you may not be able to go make a living as a musician touring on the road. Like, mm-hmm. how has that changed things for you? Yeah, I think, like everyone, I'm still sort of figuring out what to think about it, you know, that some days I'm, some days I sort of think, well, that's it, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. over. Um, yeah. and most days I think it's more vital than ever to keep doing it. If not for other people, at least for me, it's, you know, something I'm turning to more often than usual as a way of thinking yeah. through the world and life and, um, you know, just practicing an instrument as a songwriter being my primary thing. I haven't really put like playing lead front and center much, but I'm like practicing guitar, which mm-hmm. I haven't, 
<laughs> done yeah. with regularity in a while, but that's like a future-oriented thing of like, okay, this is intrinsically rewarding. I, it's something to get better at and progress at while the rest of the world is sort of spinning around. You know, it's almost like time doesn't exist in the rest of the world and who knows what the future is. I'm really not getting to your question here. Um, I think I'll keep making music. I hope I go yeah. on tour again, but I have a you know, like everyone else, a real desire to feel useful yeah, and connected to people and community and the work that I do. And, um, especially today with all the, you know, there's just so much noise to cut through on the internet. You don't always know when you're, uh, impacting someone right in that abstract way, but you play a show. It doesn't matter how big or small. Um, and you can just feel that energy. Like if it's a good one, you know, yeah. Which about half of them are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's kind of the answer to almost every question these days, I think. But uh, the conversations are still worth having. I you know, I was thinking, you know, when the Spanish flu hit in 1918, that was a little over a year, you know, um, millions, tens and hundreds of millions of people were infected worldwide. And But then think of what followed. You know, we didn't have the technology anything close to what we have now then. But within a few years, it was the Roaring Twenties, and we had jazz, you know, yeah. and, we, and we had, you know, art. That's a conversation I keep having a lot with people I, I, I know and I talk to in my circles in this during this time is you know, art remains like a higher level of that Maslow's pyramid, right? It's what we're kind of, we're working towards that like expression of being, it's easy to like talk about the human experience in terms of a collegiate course in sociology, Mm-hmm. or history. But, you know, what define, you know, what separates us from the dumb beast, for lack of a better word, is cave paintings and uh, campfire songs and mm-hmm. storytelling and writing and sharing of stories and interpreting life uh, and reflecting it back to people. You know, mm-hmm. I would say that's one of humanity's greatest strengths and greatest gifts is our ability to do that to see things in the abstract and reflect it back at society. I know that's a very heady thing to talk about, but, you know, a lot of artists, myself included, friends of mine who have lost their entire income, their entire career is completely mothballed right now as a result of this. And it's easy to stand here for me to say, you know, art is vital when you can't go do it. But I still think it remains vital. We just don't know how we're going to implement that, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I saw this. um, I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. I think it was in The Atlantic, this great article that basically was talking about how we are relearning what music is all about. Um, There's data to show that private, like earbud style listening is is declining or or has declined. I don't know if it's like a trend that's continuing, but... um, but you're seeing, you were seeing, at least at first, a more engagement with especially request-oriented live streams and stuff mm-hmm. like that because it's, it's all about interaction. Yeah. Um, we, after, you know, probably three weeks ago, once things started settling down a little bit and we realized we, we felt safe enough as a band or, or at least the trio portion of, of my band in Salt Lake to kind of get together with some distance in my yard. Mm-hmm. And um, we really were only intending to, re- this is a Sunday afternoon. We were just intending to rehearse 
in the front and we went in the front yard because there was shade up there and yeah before we knew it there was 40 people who'd stopped in the on the sidewalk and people were being responsible about space as far as we could tell and all my neighbors were sitting on their porches and everyone was just so grateful so engaged we don't play like uber popular covers you know right. so it's not like they even knew a lot of what we were doing yeah um but people it was like one of the best shows i've ever played wow <laughs> you know wow yeah, I mean, well, what a wonderful break that must be from the streaming thing that's become instantly so prevalent with everybody. I mean, that's something that people were already kind of dabbling in doing. I mm-hmm. mean, this show, this show itself, you know, features live performances. They're not live, you know, live streamed to video. When I started the show, that technology wasn't really mature enough to do, you know, for an individual. You know, you couldn't do it on your phone like you can now. Uh, but, you know, that performance aspect has always been an aspect of the show. I mean... With few exceptions, everybody's performed something on this show. Yeah. Um, but let's let's say let's let's once you play a song, we'll come back. We'll talk more about that streaming thing and like the comparison between live shows and doing something over a streaming situation because it's provided an avenue at the same time that it's kind of cut us off from those audiences and those brainwaves. So, mm-hmm. uh, what, this first song, what is this first one? I think it's the title track, right, David? State to state. Yeah, this is state to state. Um, and yeah, it kind of accidentally became the focal point of the the story of the record which is just so much of um connection between uh you know internal experiences and emotional experiences and then the places that they happen in and the people in those spots so this is kind of a song of longing and missing someone far away which i think we're all feeling that a little bit right now yeah, yeah, everything takes on a different meaning now um, in, a, in, a, in a sometimes good way. So this is David Birchfield. The song is State to State. It's the title track from his brand new record. Check this out, David Birchfield on Independence Day. Mustard colored yarn that I tied round my bag that I carry high to the mountains. Tie me around your finger, I'm fine. I keep this yarn tied up tight. Across the way from state to state is one that I keep close to me. The brown and the green, the way the colors seem after the spring and before the winter time. Well, I may lose you, but these memories are mine.
from page to page Reminder of how you loved me in those days Is it moving through? Can I carry you? However fragile your heart may be Way across the way from state to state Now that you're far away from me Blue and the white Colorado's ice But it's a heck of a way from Tennessee If there's a way back there my eyes can't see Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong. I am the host and producer of the Independence Day podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you've got cabin fever, which I know you probably do, there are over 200 episodes of Independence Day. You can go to indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Check out lots of lots of live performances and uh, what I like to think are interesting interviews with musicians who you should really know about. And I'm really, really glad to bring you David Birchfield and add him to the Independence Day family. He is a Coloradan. He's part Kansan, as I recall, living in Utah these days. Normally, he's a hardcore troubadour. He'd be out bringing the music to the people. Uh, but, you know, we're all kind of housebound at this point, so he's going to share stuff with you in any way that he can. You can also check him out at davidbirchfieldmusic.com, B-U-R-C-H-F-I-E-L-D, music.com. He's also on Instagram at davidbirchfieldmusic. David, great song, man. Thank you for Thanks. sharing that, and thank you for doing this. Yeah. Uh, we were talking before that tune about that you know the, the live performance situation the first time i was ever actually even in a room with you you were performing a live show mm-hmm. and when someone is a performer and you see them do their thing i mean that's a version of themselves um people like tom waits people like david bowie are almost playing a character that may or may not be themselves mm-hmm. right um, the folk music tradition, like the singer-songwriter tradition, I kind of feel like is almost the opposite of that in a way. Like, that's you up there, man, mm-hmm. doing your thing. And, you know, getting to know you over these past few months has uh, just made that more, you know, logical to me or made that make more sense. Like, you are mm-hmm. that guy who's up there performing. Um, and you, I don't want to, like, make assumptions, but, like, when I'm performing, like, you, you feel that vibe out of the audience there's a brainwave thing happening studies mm-hmm. have shown that people who sing in choirs when they sing together their brainwaves actually line up in a very very interesting and cool scientific way like how do you or how will you attempt to kind of replicate that in a situation where we're not going to be able to be in the same room with not only our other our, our audiences but our other musicians really as well like have you mm-hmm. started to think about that or address that Hmm. I don't I don't really know how to handle like getting people back together. I actually do music uh for a church as like a one of my ways of surviving, which of course is really different now, but they're starting to talk about 
in Utah going back to gatherings up to 50 people. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I think that'll feel so weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, people in clumps separated. Yeah, yeah. There's this thing, you know, like people are talking about socially distanced concerts and drive-in concerts. And I don't know. I think we're going to have to keep reinventing it. One thing I did with this, um, with You're Okay, that first song um, we heard, uh, was as it was about to come out, I, I had probably 10 or 12 musician friends like played a cover, made a video of a cover and posted it wherever, you know, Instagram, Facebook. And that's not the same thing as singing all together at the same time, but it really made me feel connected to those people and yeah, reconnected to the scenes that I've gotten to know them in. And um, that was a cool thing, you know? I really appreciated the people doing that and we're just going to keep looking. I've started doing more co-writes via video with people, and I'm not mm-hmm. really into co-writing that much, but it's a great way to get together with someone, and yeah. some cool stuff started coming out of that. So, Yeah, I think for something so all-encompassing, it sounds passe or sounds fluffy to talk about a silver lining. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's also part of humanity is, you know, through the darkest of times, through the Black Plague, through the pandemic, through world wars, through giant hurricanes, giant earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, everything that humanity has endured for the last umpteen thousand years. It's that indelible spirit of humanity that keeps us moving forward and keeps because art keeps coming back or does it even really go away? It just changes and evolves, just like everything else about human society. And part of me thinks, uh, you know, this may kill certain industries or at least mothball them for a while. But people are also going to be starved for that kind of experience, just Mm -hmm. being in a room with people and feeling that energy and that exchange of human emotion uh, with a performer or a group of performers and with each other at shows. So... I think it remains to be seen. You know, I keep saying this over and over again. There are more, you know, there are more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. But it's not like this is going to end humanity. Humanity will go on. It's going to look mm-hmm. different for a while. Um, we're going to lose people that we love. And that those are tragedies. Each and every one of those is a tragedy unto itself. Um, but I, I just hope that we can remember that. And I hope that we can, you know, I haven't done any live streaming music things through this because a lot of that for me is just a personal thing it's like a solitary thing i i like performing with musicians right i can perform solo i've done it a billion times i'm sure i'll do it a billion more times but it seems like it removes the two things that i need the most which is the other person i'm performing with and the audience like removing both of those kind of makes me i'm I'm just playing in my room yeah (laughs) but but anyway uh, i'm with you I'm glad that that exists, though. You know, I may dip my toes into those waters. You know, it's funny to watch. Uh, I know that when you were here, we listened to a James McMurtry song and mm-hmm. kind of broke it down and analyzed it a little bit. And he's been doing some live streaming concerts because he's a guy that normally makes his living on the road, the majority mm-hmm. of it. He's got a new album due out this year as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his technology, I'll flat out say it, it sucks. I don't know if it's an iPad or just yeah, a, a going laptop. straight into a phone. Those those ones sound really bad because the yeah, compression's I mean, insane. You know, a lot of people. That's another silver lining. A lot of people are learning technology to make this better. <laughs> At least yeah. I hope so. Yeah, those are two big two big silver linings for me, Joe. Then I'm like for the I've owned Logic and an interface and some of the gear to record for a long time, 
and I'm finally learning it. I've yeah. had to do a lot of video for that church job. So I'm learning to edit video, yeah. developing all these skills, you know, so that might be a side hustle, right? That it's, yeah. that comes out of kind of um, su- supporting myself into the future. And then the other thing is I'm not spending any time on booking right, right. now, which is usually a huge part, like probably 80 to 85% of what I do yeah. at, at, in this job. So I've just been writing a lot and yeah. writing with other people and all that. So are you disciplined and or regimented about that process has and or has that changed in the in the light of this situation you know, were you a guy before this that woke up and were like okay from 9 to 10 like from 9 to 11 I'm booking I'm just working on booking and then I'm going to have some lunch and I'm going to go for a run and I'm going to come back and then from 1 to 3 I'm going to work on booking and then I'm going to write from 3 to 5 like how structured are you and is it different now than it was then I mean obviously you're not booking but have you maintained structure I guess that's been really hard for me to maintain structure dude no I haven't <laughs> I haven't I mean uh, at first I had none and now I at least kind of have a bedtime um what does that mean? You kind of have a bedtime. <laughs> I like try to be in bed by midnight. Okay. But sometimes that becomes 1 a.m. <laughs> right. You know, but I know I'm so bad with structure. I just have more time now. So some of the stuff that normally falls out of falls out, just it, there's more room for it. I'm not, you know, being social really yeah. at all and not working on booking. So there is more time to write. Um it feels a little, it's interesting. I wonder if you've had this experience. It sort of felt a little bit like it did when I was first beginning. When I was first sort of discovering the joy of making music for myself in my bedroom. Because that's all it is now, basically. And it's just, I'm rediscovering some of that um, initial spark and, and joy of creation for its own sake. And just getting, practicing guitar you know, yeah. for its own sake. Um, so no, no structure. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's been, that's been admittedly hard, you know, in my personal situation, my special lady friend, you know, we're, we're the coronavirus team in our household. You know, we mm-hmm. have seen very few other people in person. And if we have, it was more than six feet away. We've always been masked up. Uh, you know, we've dropped off, you know, we've seen, you know, she's got some relatives locally. We've seen them, you know, from like 10 dropping something off one way or the other on somebody's porch and like talking from 20 feet away. Mm. Um, but it's been very, it's been very disconnected. And like, I don't know about you, but like, I find like when, when all parameters have essentially been removed, look, I'm extremely fortunate. Like I'm and not a wealthy man, but I've got enough to kind of coast through this with government assistance, let's mm-hmm. say, right? And, you know, my, my partner is employed, so that's good. We've got, you know, we're not going to starve. We're not going to lose our home. Um, I, I hope that's the case for as many people as possible. Um, but when all parameters are removed, it's like we're kind of floating in the ether, you know? Like, I remember mm-hmm. thinking very early on, you know, she came in the room and was like, hey, you know, do you want to do this today? And I was like, you know, not really. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here on the couch for a while and think about things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, it's so, the, the, I keep coming back to this too. The scope of this is so large as, you know, no one alive, you know, we're talking 102 years since this, something like this happened that affected the entire world mm-hmm. on this scale, you know, and anyone who was alive at that time is too young to remember it. Mm-hmm. So no one, you know, there, no one has the, 
psychological faculties to deal with this, you know? Mm-hmm. So like you throw like, okay, well, we're, 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 we've got a place, you know, um, we've got tons of music in here. We've got unlimited internet essentially, but we feel like we should be accomplishing something at the same time. I'm, I'm, you know, I guess I'm just trying to be very forgiving with myself and others in this time. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta be, you know, man, if you want to sit all afternoon and like stare at like your painting, just do that, man. We drank a ton of beer that first month. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're getting a little more adjusted, but yeah, that first, that first couple weeks was tough. Yeah. And it's still hard to, you know, I think, I wonder what was different psychologically a hundred years ago in that now we know enough and have enough access to information to say, to see what's happening elsewhere as a predictor of what may happen here or not. Um, and to understand how, you know, transmission works, how vaccines work and have something like a timeline. Like, I think it's pretty, pretty clear the world won't feel like it did before yeah. for at least a year to two years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. People keep saying new normal, but I think now we're at like the new, 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 new normal, mm-hmm. you know, because we're, again, more questions than answers. We don't, we don't know, you know, at some point when kids are studying this in college, they'll look back at this and say, this will be the death toll. At some point we'll know, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully in this, it's not a foregone conclusion. They will have a vaccine. It probably will, but mm-hmm. we don't know that. Um, it's interesting to see how this is rolled through our society in terms of people's opinions on everything. And I just assume they keep them to themselves <laughs> for the <laughs> most part. Uh, but in terms of like, you know, you talked about, you know, it, being in the ether and, and writing and performing, you know, one thing I think is a gift that you have. And, I, and it was exemplified when you were out here visiting us and staying with us when you were on tour is how like you came to L.A., had some preconceived notions about what L.A. was about. And I think we, we talked about it a lot at the time. Like you said, it wasn't that. It was something different. Or at least it might have been that, but it was something else that you didn't expect. And you wrote a song while you were here about your experience in L.A. And I think that as a songwriter, that's a gift that you have, is a very rapid turnaround between you experiencing something and refracting that into a song and then reflecting it back. Has Mm -hmm. this situation done that for you yet in a song? Uh, Yeah, I've written... um, early on maybe I'll send it to you I just don't love the music I had for it but I really so I wrote a song kind of about this whole experience that everyone's going through and I loved the metaphor was just sort of like um everyone's experiencing a flood but I'm like a person of privilege so there's people who are like waist deep in water all the time with you know access to healthcare and paying rent and stuff and I'm just like mopping up a little rain that came into the kitchen. Um, right. And so kind of, kind of thinking about privilege and how some communities, this kind of uncertainty and difficulty is nothing new. Right. Um, so I wrote that. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, many people in the L.A. scene will know Tim Fleming, that great steel player who was a part of the Wine and Song Um in South Pasadena, that was the the show you came to, and yeah, Brad Collar, kind of my um, blue guitar shows. Yeah, yeah, really great series out there, and kind of my anchor gig for that whole thing. And um, Tim was just this incredible dude uh, that I met that night. He'd never heard my songs, and um, he just snuck on stage during my set as he was known to do, and 
made everything really sing and pop. And um, uh, he passed away, as you know, a couple of weeks ago. From, yeah, in the midst of this whole thing. Yeah, it's unclear to me whether it was directly related to COVID, but I think that may have had something to do with it. Anyway, we're sad to lose him, and I wrote a song uh, pretty much right away when I heard it. So, What a unique experience to be able to turn something around so personally, so fast, you know, to have, which I think, again, comes back to, like, your unique gift as a songwriter. You know, it takes me sometimes years to, like, filter it through the soil and get down to the bedrock and get down to, like, the aquifer below everything, but then it can bubble up as a song again. Like, it takes me forever to do that, right? Um, you're very, very good at that. And with the song, you, just, the thing you came up with about Tim was lovely and touching. Mm. And, I mean, good Lord, I don't think he'd been gone 48 hours, when you had sent me a message, I, I let you know about it because we kind of both knew him a little bit, mm-hmm. and you kind of came back with that song like within a day, yeah. and you know, uh, so man, kudos to you for being able to turn that around. Well, th- I call them gifts. I mean, there are songs for me that take years, and then a few that take you know probably half that take a week, and then and then there's the ones that you know that one came out in 25 minutes probably, and I just yeah. I don't think that I I mean. I do think that part of that is is the product of years and years of practice yeah. and knowing how to connect dots as a songwriter, but I think a lot of that is just the muse, and I'm just grateful to have been visited, you know? Yeah, and what's this song called? Beyond the Stage Door. Okay, Beyond the Stage Door. So this is uh, David Birchfield with a song about the dearly departed Tim Fleming that we, uh, we both kind of met at Brad Collarick's Wine and Song Series, which is in South Pasadena, California. So let's check this out. Beautiful song, David. Here we go. When you've just met someone And you walk on stage A little magic comes When you start to play The good ones follow you where you go East for an evening Then you're down the road He's packing up his steel He's loading out the door We ain't ready yet But he's gotta go Where he's headed Soon everyone will say Heard this new guy, Tim, he can really play. I didn't feel him then, but to him I was. I was just burning till he lit me up. A passing compliment, he would soon forget a secret confidence. I'm still carrying. Backing up his steel, he's loading out the door. We ain't ready yet, but he's gotta go. Where he's headed, soon everyone will say, Have you heard this new guy, Tim? He can really play.
not sure what's waiting beyond the stage door. I can't imagine that he won't play no more. There's really such a thing as an angel band. He won't need the charts, but just jump right in. He's packing up his steel. Loading out that door We ain't ready yet But he's gotta go Where he's headed Soon everyone will say Have you heard this new guy Tim? He can really play Have you heard this new guy Tim? He can really play song is Beyond the Stage Door, but it's about the loss of a South Pasadena musician named Tim Fleming that managed to sit in with David when he was on tour with us early in February before this whole thing blew up in our faces, man. And I'm so sad. You know, my best wishes to Tim's family. David writes about this in the song. You know, you meet somebody, you speak a different language. You can play with a musician, you don't speak their language, but you sit down and we know that language of music and we find uh, a common place to put our hearts and our minds. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a wonderful gift about being a musician. You know, I know that he touched you. Have you yeah, experienced it, that? Yeah, it was really great to get to play with him. And David, man, so you're so good at like turning ideas around quickly. You know, it seems like a good opportunity to play another tune. So this one I know is a little kind of, it's like autobiographical, right? I remember talking with you about hmm. this uh, in our initial interview before the coronavirus thing. And this particular song, like having to talk to your family about how much of this was artistic license and how much of this was something that you needed to get off your chest. So... Uh, tell yeah. me about this tune. What's it called? It's called Glad I Got Out of There. It is, uh, it's another one of those gift songs that just sort of fell into my lap. Um, and it's part my experience and part other folks. I was on the way, I was carpooling with some other songwriters to a festival we were playing uh, a couple years ago now, I guess. And um, we were just talking about that thing of moving away from your hometown and you sort of miss out on um, some of the friends and family you love and what's happening in their lives. But at the same time, like you knew you couldn't stay there. And, um, I, I had a very happy childhood and great friends back home, but I definitely felt like I needed to leave Kansas city and it took me a long time. But, um, a lot of the scenes in there were taken from those other folks experience. And what's really interesting was playing it for my parents and having to explain like, you know, this sounds like I hated it here and I didn't <laughs> at yeah. all. Yeah, um, yeah. But my mom who grew up in, you know, a much harder kind of super poor blue collar kind of circumstance out in the East um, and then did make it out in grad school. She said, well, that's, that's my, you just, that's my experience that you're singing there. Yeah. Um, which I just think is really cool that, she was able to relate to it in a positive yeah. way like that. And I think hopefully a lot of people will. Yeah, there's that whole manifest destiny concept of of you know finding how big your country is or how big your world's going to be. And I think that it's a misconception that you have to hate the place that you're leaving to leave. Mm -hmm. There are other reasons to go. You know, it took me, it took me personally, both as a human and as an artist, songwriter, uh, writer, very long time to almost forgive myself for that concept 
because mm. there are people out there that my, that are blood relatives that I love so very dearly, and I don't see them. I see right. them twice a year. I mm-hmm. love them as much as I ever have, and I didn't leave because I disliked them in any way. Mm-hmm. I figured out somewhere along the line that I wanted my world to be as big as I could possibly make it. You yeah, know, I would and, go to the moon if I could. Uh, and you were some say of something? it's you. I mean, it's. I think some of it's you wanted your to provide an expansive uh, context for you to become you too. I don't yeah. know if that's you to say it that way, but that's certainly the case for me. Was um, although so much of it's driven driven by deep loving knowledge and good intention, the people you've grown up with by the time you hit your mid twenties, they sort of have this idea of who you are. Right. And, um, that can be really great and a good reminder of good qualities or things you want to be true to. And then it can also be kind of confining in some ways. Yeah. Um, and so for me, moving out West was a big part of growing up in that yeah. way and getting to redefine some things about what my story was. And, um, that shows up in this song. There's also another song. I don't know if we're doing this as part of the thing, but it's on the record. Ain't going to be easy. Really talks about that idea. Yeah. 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 Man, it's a big, big world. And that's one thing I think about musicians. So many musicians, you know, it's endemic to the career is getting out and sharing that with the world. I mean, that's kind of the hardest part of the job. A lot of people will tell you, look, I play for free. I get paid mm-hmm. to ride around in cars and vans and airplanes and buses and wait in hotel lobbies and be by myself in hotel rooms. Like, that's what you get paid for. Right. right. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but I definitely think it's true. I felt that. You know, yeah. there are times when I'm out playing. It's like, man, I would do this for free. Um, mm-hmm. It's all that other stuff that you could take the money for. <laughs> right. But, but uh, you know, and I think that wanting that and knowing the difference for a lot of musicians is a key facet to that. Like I, I just wanted it to be bigger, you know, like the places I've lived, the places I grew up, I love them so very dearly. You know, I have so many cherished like Ray Bradbury esque memories of growing up, like (laughs) catching lightning bugs and fireflies and thunderstorms and bees and like the Winnie the Pooh style bees and playing in the sandbox and like dew mornings with my bike in the grass in the front yard. And you know, all those stuff that's all, that's all in there. It's all part of me, Mm -hmm. but man, I wanted to know what like, I want to know what a sunset looks like in Tokyo. I wanted to know what uh, the grass smells like in Melbourne, Australia. I wanted to find out what, you know, what is what do the cliffs of Moher look like in Western Ireland? What you mm. know, and, and everything and on and on and on and on. Anyway, yeah. so they, I'm, I'll, I'll keep well, talking. I should add I, to that too. I mean, Please. I think uh, the other that's true of mute playing too. You know, when we've talked about this, it's so important to tour. Um, in part because, you know, financially, like you have to build lots of markets and people aren't going to come see you every week in the same town, etc. But there's also just when you go to another scene, especially if it's night after night and you see how you fit in with a local bill and how a different audience and maybe a place really far from home connects to what you're doing, that can kind of expand your own conception of your music and, and how you can relate it to a, yeah. a broad array of people. Yeah, definitely. It's like the more the more you realize, the, the more you learn, the bigger it gets, I guess. Yeah. You know, and being comfortable with that fact that there are more questions than answers. And that ties into this whole coronavirus thing. It's like, you know, I think in some ways I was having this conversation with a really, really close music friend who's the bottom has dropped out of everything, which is that in some ways musicians are more prepared for this 
or at least a lot of musicians I know, because they're more uncomfortable with ambiguity, they're more uncomfortable with not knowing where mm-hmm. things are coming from. Because if you are creating your existence by writing a new album and then another one after that and booking a tour and meeting new people and all the places that you play, it's not easy, but you're used to it. You're mm-hmm. used to having things be uncertain. You're used to having things be, you know, well, what's this going to be? Like, how am I, you know, how am I going to do it? And having faith to jump into the ether and create something out of nothing. Yeah. You know, again, doesn't make it easy, but, uh, you know, it's something, it's a kinship, I think. We all feel that as musicians, at least most of us do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so play that, but once you play this tune, this is Glad I Got Out of There, David Birchfield on Independence Day. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Another wonderful song from David. Here we go. All of the boys on Friday night Drive the main road up and down again Cutting a rut into the road Try to leave but can't get out again All of those old nights with friends High school days drinking Milwaukee's best I get wistful thinking about them I'm glad I got out of there All of my high school friends are having kids Taking them to the park on Saturdays Raising them up together like cousins I only see it on the internet Thinking about my sister's little girl Thinking about her uncle far away Still I guess that I still have to say Glad I got out of there Mama, I hope you understand It's not the Too deep to go I'm glad I got out of there If I can find the work to do this fall I'll come around for a month or more 
a little extra time to see my niece a little extra time before she's grown someday she'll be old enough for me to fly her to the mountain states walk up on that high ridge in the hills I hope she understands when she sees this place mama I hope you understand it's not the way you were or anything the rut that's cut along the Felt too deep to go I'm glad I got out of there I'm glad I got out of there That's David Birchfield with another lovely song, Glad I Got Out of There on Independence Day. David, man, thank you for taking time to join us to do this and uh, share your experience, especially in these uncertain times, man. It's great to get your input like as we're going through this. you know, It's like a first, yeah. first-hand experience. Well, as you know, I have nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me try to squeeze you in between Zoom meetings and endless watching of Monty Python, which seems to be how I'm passing my time. We rewatched, uh, uh, Julie and I rewatched The Wire in total, which is oh, our. Oh, nice. Like, it's what's my favorite television show. It's one of her favorite television shows. Well, that but could it's, come up next. It's, We're uh, doing Treme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Simon, similar, a lot of, lot of the same actors in that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, for us, it was, or at least for me, it was kind of like comfort food. You know, I needed like when this was blowing up and it was, it was when it first happened, I mean, it was March and it was still kind of rainy, even LA, it was kind of cool and rainy and, uh, we couldn't go anywhere. So we had beer and we had the internet and we had an Apple TV and we had a remote control. We had a couch. So that's all the cocktail you need for a yet another viewing of the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not watch Tiger King. I have to say. That's, I haven't either. It doesn't, <laughs> I, I, I took one look at it and thought, you know, I, I just don't think that's my jam. <laughs> yeah. I've got other things to do. We we steered clear. I I wouldn't watch that in a normal time. Why would I watch that in this time? Right. Uh, But, you know, we're getting through it as best we can. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this. This is something we did this interview the first time before this whole thing hit. And, you know, it was a very, very different conversation. Uh, But but also similar in some ways because the same things that make us who we are are those things now. They were then. They are now. And we're both fortunate enough to be here. We're both fortunate enough to be safe. I'm glad to hear, again to hear that your your people are safe. Uh, you know what? This is bio stuff. Like, what got you started in music? It's a crazy thing to kind of make into a career, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not a direct like A to point A to point B line, but like so, lots of people love music, but not everyone yeah. chooses to do it. What made it different for you? Uh, well, I started playing tambourine in the church band with my dad when I was five um and that was the beginning and then I you know, picked up a guitar when I was 12 and uh I think what I always loved most was songwriters and so that's kind of where I went with that um pretty early on and kept doing it um I don't know if that I like thought of it as a career 
until maybe my 20s. But even mm-hmm. then, I didn't, you know, or my early 20s, I didn't really understand what went into it. So I made those two records and kind of worked them, but didn't really understand just how much it is involved and how long it takes. And um, like we've talked about that wreck, uh, it didn't rule out other kinds of work, but it did remind me of how um, nothing is as intrinsically satisfying to me as doing music. You know what I mean? Like th- we've yeah. we've both had other jobs that feel meaningful and good, and I'm sure I'll continue to have some side hustles that are just music adjacent or not even. But um, nothing to me makes there's nothing else that makes me want to stay up all night figuring something out. Yeah, for its own sake. Yeah, and so th- to me, like that's the best reason to do anything. And I, you know, my wife is she feels the same way about uh, medicine. She'll come home from a 16 hour shift and read about, you know, read some journal articles, um, just cause she is interested and wants to know more about whatever she saw that day. Do you feel like in my own life, sometimes I feel it's like a blessing and a curse, you know, cause I think (laughs) I would have a much nicer car. I would have a much nicer house. I would have a much nicer stereo if I hadn't spent all my money on music gear and trying to make records that's kind of like the curse part, but it's also a compulsion. So it's like a blessing, a curse and a compulsion. Like what, what, what percentage of each do you think it is in your world? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think, of, I think a lot about like jo- jobs I've had. Okay. Like social worker, elementary school teacher, um, like immigrant, like part of an immigration law team, you know, even that is, you know, that's not basically I've never been drawn to something lucrative. I just yeah. wish I wanted to design bridges, you know, yeah, <laughs> or whatever, be a doctor or something. I just never, none of that stuff that pays well has ever appealed to me. So at this point, I've just accepted that I don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, man, you and I are, I think, very much kindred spirits in that regard, because like I, I've always told people like, it's kind of half jokingly, but there's a lot of truth to this joke, which is that if you can make money at it, I'm, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> or the inverse is like if you can't get paid for it odds are i'm probably pretty good at it like juggling writing <laughs> playing music uh i make some beer i suppose but there aren't a lot of billionaires who make beer there's a couple <laughs> um you juggle yeah a little bit i did not know that um, a little bit. there's actually a lyric on my upcoming record that says juggle for a minute in the morning when you wake up kind of some advice oh, to people that's good that's good advice I, 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 if you're bad at it well, yeah, I can't, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that, like, it was, like, some point, like, I try to, like, whimsy is something, as you get older, I try to in, really try to keep in my life. Right. You know, like, you can get bogged down, man. We live in hard times. It's a volatile time. You know, I, but I love, like, I, more and more, like, I, I think I've been reverting. I'm wearing Birkenstocks right now. I've been reverting to, like, all my 90s safe things. College, Joe. My girlfriend hates them. You know, I've got long hair again. My girlfriend doesn't like that either, but she seems to like me enough, so that's okay. Yeah. But, like, all, like, I'm listening to 90s music, and it's, like, that's, like, my safe decade, like, my safe space mm-hmm. decade. It was college for me, you know. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, trying to keep that whimsy. The juggling thing was, like, this idea I had. Like, if I wake up every day and I juggle for one minute, mm-hmm. just, just right over the bed, just tennis balls, whatever, like, it kind of gets your blood going just a little, gets your brain going just a little, it's like something you can almost meditate on, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a little bit physical, takes you just enough out of your head to be focused on what you're doing, kind of like jogging does. I know we're both joggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not even sure where I'm getting at with that, but like, 
Well, I, I, I can tie it in this way. The, the, I saw this thing on the internet, whatever. That's like, just remember post pandemic that you turned to TV and movies. You turned to music. You turned to podcasts. Like art, artists are mm-hmm. what everyone's turning to right now. Yeah, and I, I really, th- I think too is you know people I know well who've chosen a different path for me, but I've known my whole life who are who are in you know pretty rigid kind of like office job settings, raising kids, paying a mortgage. It's like it, it's um, usually not well compensated and not always the most prestigious thing, but so vital in our society to have artists like you and me and a lot of our friends who are remain committed to finding moments of whimsy and intrinsic joy and um, creativity. That's like, otherwise we're just like deeper and deeper into this whole of, you know, more rigid life. Yeah. And when you, I mean, I don't know how you program your shows or what songs you curate when you're thinking up a set list, but I mean, I, my goal, I think it's, it comes down to a very simple goal as an artist, which was my, I remember saying this like to someone in high school, I just want to make people feel something. Mm-hmm. or think something. So when you know you you pick your songs for a set list, you know you can maybe cater it to the location, cater it to the room, cater it to the vibe. But there you know I want to take them on a little journey because it's kind of that interrelational human experience where it's like okay, mm-hmm. here's a song about the time when someone broke up with you because almost everybody in the audience had someone break up with them at some point. Here's right. a song about riding around in a car with the windows down in the summertime. You know, uh your experience is going to be slightly different than mine, but I know you did that, <laughs> you know? And it's those things, you know, how you make the listener feel about their lives that make them remember you. Like, yeah. Not what you told them about your life. That's irrelevant. They don't, I don't want to be rude, but they don't really care about that so much. Yeah. yeah. You know, put them in a space, take them somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And you certainly do that. You know, you do that through every song I've ever heard you do. The songs that you wrote in my living room, the song that you wrote after when Tim Fleming passed, the songs on your record. And I honestly, I can't wait to share this stuff. And I can't wait to share this episode. And I, as I, I you know, I, I just, I want to expose people to an artist such as yourself who has this gift of turning things around quickly mm-hmm. and has a voice. Because we're not reinventing the wheel of singer-songwriters. It's a dude and a guitar, maybe a harmonica, right? Right. Everybody knows those parameters. But every now and again, somebody special rolls along, and you're one of those dudes. So, man, thank you. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for being who you are. Well, uh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Why don't you—we've got one more song here. It sounds like another perfect opportunity to David to share one of those songs with us. What is this one? Uh, this song I wrote on your couch um, after a night out. Uh, this was—I played the Hotel Cafe, and um, a few folks came out. It was kind of a small draw, but— that's kind of what I expected being new in, in that market. But um, I was just kind of reflecting on having been in LA and staying with you and Julie um, for a couple of days. And I had just expected to be really intimidated uh, by the experience of LA. You know, there's kind of a, a lure of like bad traffic and jaded people. And I just, I mean, I think I got lucky with traffic probably, but the people were amazing everywhere yeah. I went. Um, super engaged and encouraging and it all felt very real and genuine to me and um and so I I yeah so I was just was sitting at your place thinking about like man I I totally missed out on this place for a lot of years and I'll probably never get to live there um but 
yeah, just thinking about that. So the song came out. Yeah, man. Well, it was great to have you here, and it was great to watch someone experience that very thing. I think people, again, we touched upon this a little bit earlier, like people are very judgy, and I'm not saying you personally, but just in general. You know, everyone thinks everybody from Chicago has a sausage stuck in their cheek somewhere. Everybody thinks everybody from New York has got a big pen sticking out of their neck. Everybody, you know, from getting <laughs> yeah. stabbed walking down the street, everybody thinks, you know, uh, they have all these kinds of preconceived notions. You know, again, musicians learn this when they go out and experience this firsthand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people are kind of the same everywhere to a certain extent. They're raising their kids. They want to have a barbecue. They want to, like, have a safe place to read the book. They want to watch some TV. They want to, you know, have opportunity. Um, yeah. And Los Angeles gets a bad rap because there is bad traffic and there are some vapid people here for sure. But like anywhere else, man, it is what you make it. You know, mm -hmm. if you're looking for negativity, you're probably going to find it. You know, life is just kind of that way. So, yeah. uh, and also, you, such a unique experience. I think this is the first time anyone's ever written a song and uh, in my living room and then performed it on the show. So uh, mm -hmm. there's got to be some kind of metal. I'll buy you a beer the next time I see you for that. <laughs> and, I, and I look forward to sitting down and having a beer with yeah. nigh anyone, but especially you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is uh, David Birchfield. The song is Can't Ever Say on Independence Day. L.A. One long avenue, a thousand miles long. The center of a million love songs. Here's a million. One. When I thought I knew you well, well I turned away. What have I missed in the interim? Can't ever say. Right past the neon storefronts, houses in a row. So many lives inside them, one I'll never know. When I thought I knew you well, well I turned away. What have I missed in the interim? Can't ever say. Can't ever say. A life I'm never gonna live I've seen Looking down sunset Staring back at me I guess I missed you Didn't mean to So long I've been thinking Wrong about you Where are you sleeping tonight now that I've left town? Wonder if you smell the same way when I'm not around. When I thought I knew you well. 
turned away What have I missed in the interim Can't ever say Can't really say Can't ever say A song written here at the Independence Day World Headquarters in beautiful Southern California. The song is Can't Ever Say. The artist is David Birchfield. You can learn about David at davidbirchfieldmusic.com. Also, it's the same thing on Instagram. He's got a couple of the records you should pick up as well. The new record, State to State, is coming out very, very soon. Learn about that in David Birchfield Music. Follow him on Instagram. You'll need to know. You'll find out everything you need to know about him that way. He's a gifted songwriter. He's a wonderful, kind of lighthearted performer who, like, gets you with... A simple turn of phrase that you think it's kind of like that this is something i wanted to bring up david is that we lost john prine through the course of mm. this whole thing it's something i know i brought up in the per, in the first interview it's like you kind of strike me as like john prine with a smartphone right mm. you're a new version of these things like your your observations are i always thought that john prine is like his songs are six inches deep and 10 miles wide at the same time that they're six inches wide and 10 miles deep right yeah you sneak in really deep things with a whimsical phrase or vice versa. And uh, it, it comes out in spades in the new record, and I, I can't wait for people to hear it. I mean, effusive praise perhaps, but uh, I don't know. I just look forward, for, look forward to people hearing this. And so what? you're welcome, man. What, so what are you going to do in lieu of the shows that you're going to play? I mean, is this going to look like a bunch of online shows and just promoting, promoting the record? Or what's, what's the plan? How does it look different now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was doing a, a show every week uh, for my Facebook page. And um, just kind of ran out of steam. You know, that thing ran its course. It was good. I did it probably nine or ten weeks. But... Now, um, I'm focused on some hosted shows, you know, like the, like the folk organization and Denver's hosting one and mm-hmm. the, the big indie music fest is hosting one. And the, I think we'll do something on release day, some kind of mm-hmm. probably Facebook based thing and hopefully have some friends kind of open from their own pages. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see, oh, you know, one thing I am excited to do and which I would never have time for if I was on the road is I'm going to try the goal is to make a lyric video and a live performance video of every song on the record and release them every week. So there'll be something coming out or maybe every other week. So there'll be something coming out for six to 12 months after the record's done, um, being released. So I think those things will be cool. Um, Obviously, things are really different with shows, and we'll just yeah. get back on the horse when we can, you know? Yeah, we're navigating this as best we can, and I'm I'm really glad to hear that you're embracing it in any way that you can and just trying to find new ways to do things because that's what life does. You know, what's that thing from Jurassic Park? Life finds a way, right? Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, that just makes me happy. It makes me happy people are still releasing records. Jason Isbell, I know, has a new record that just came out. Uh, James McMurtry's got a new record out due this year. People are still making music. You know, I'm I'm in a weird spot because I was almost finished when mm-hmm. I when this whole thing hit. So it's like I'm. If it had been another, if it had given me another month, this is not about me personally. It's about the whole world. But if I had just had, if I'd been a month farther along when this happened, then it would have been a much different decision for me. The record would have yeah. been basically finished, and then I could decide: Well, am I going to do what you're going to do and release it, or am I going to sit on it for a bit and just wait to see how things go? But uh, 
man, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you stuck with it and that you're releasing it. I think that's a really uh, laudable and cool thing to do because you do have a gift and I'm glad you're sharing it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I sat on it like a long time already. So it was yeah. just time. It needed to get out there. Yeah, but that's an album cycle thing. It's like a chapter in your life. I know that from personal experience. Like I have always written the next songs for the next record by the time it takes, by the time the, the last record came out, we're on to the next thing. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's a hard thing <laughs> as a musician. I've got like, yeah, so many that I'm just dying to figure out how to get recorded. So, All right, David. Yeah. Well, check out the new record. It comes out June the 5th, davidbirchfieldmusic.com. Same thing on Instagram. David, thank you, man. I appreciate it so very much. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So many, many thanks to my new friend, David Birchfield, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The irascible Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Thank you, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. And more than ever, like I always say at the end of every episode, if you do anything today, please be good to one another. <laughs>